evening and welcome to Night Colors Bigfoot Radio. It's October 23rd, 2019, and you're here with your hosts, Lauren Smith and Dustin Clark. How are you doing tonight, Dustin? I'm doing awesome, Lauren. How are you doing tonight? Fabulous, fabulous. Really excited about our guest tonight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, now, before we... Um, oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> but before we get started, I uh, figured we could uh, do a little bit of house cleaning on the uh, let, let everybody know that we just created the Facebook group so that everybody who's been mm-hmm. following the show can uh, come on Facebook. And now we have a uh, group where everybody can come, share their experiences, share. We, it's basically we've made a community of Nightcallers Bigfoot Radio. Mm-hmm. And yep. It's fun and super excited about it. Yep. So um, y'all can thank Dustin for that. Uh, so he decided <laughs> to go ahead and create a group for everybody. And uh, you guys can post there. You can interact. I mean, we ask that you keep it clean. Um, you know, mm-hmm. don't pollute the page with, you know, all the things. Um, I mean, we're going to... You know, there are rules, but other than that, we are just really looking forward to everybody being able to interact in one place. Um, We're pretty easygoing, so just come hang out. We'll also be, you know, putting show info in there and sharing other shows as well. You know, we like to support um, all the podcasters in the community, so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, more people to get the information out there, the better, so... We uh, go go like us on Facebook, and uh, you can join the group. Just request to join the group, and we'll approve it. And you know, we hope to see you all over there. <clears throat> so, are you ready to bring our guest on, or do you have anything else to add? Any other housekeeping, as you said? <laughs> That's all I got, and I'm super excited to bring our guest on. Would you like to introduce him, or okay. would you like me? Um, you can go ahead. All right. Um, tonight we have the awesome William Lunsford, and he is going to come on and talk to us about his research, his experiences, and his day to day. So, Will, how are you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing great. Good to be with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. This is something I've looked forward to. Like I, you know, like I've told you before, the name Night Callers, man, that just describes describes Sasquatch to a T. Night Callers. So I've been very excited <laughs> to about this opportunity to to get on here and, and, and let's talk about Bigfoot. We're a week away from Halloween. There's nothing that'll get us started in the right direction like a couple of Bigfoot stories and, and be able to discuss it. One of probably my favorite subject. Definitely. So uh, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, Telling us how you got into it and uh, your very first encounter. Okay, man, I would love to. Um, I got into Sasquatch and strictly by accident. It, it, accident. It was not something that I wanted to do. It was nothing I'd never thought about. As a matter of fact, when I saw my first Bigfoot, I never even dreamed that Bigfoot was real. I live in Texarkana, Arkansas, which is about 18 miles from a little community of a town called Fout. If you've ever heard of Falk, Arkansas, Falk is the home of what is called the, quote, Falk monster, unquote. And she is, mm-hmm. it is probably the most 
famous Bigfoot in America besides Patty of the Patterson-Gimlin film. And uh, I grew up a lot of time. I grew up down there around Falk, around Days Creek, around Sulphur River. And so I'd had a lot of weird things that had happened in my life that were, but at the time I couldn't necessarily point my finger on the Sasquatch. But uh, as I was down in 1977, my life changed, and that changed as far as my recognition of Bigfoot. Um, I was down in a place that I had fished with my dad um, ever since I was a little boy. I had made, I mean, hundreds of times because it was was a great place. It was in the woods. Loved doing that. Loved doing that with him. The fishing was really good. And uh, so uh, after he had passed away, then I had continued to go down there fishing. So uh, one day I was was a teacher's aide at my high school there for one of my coaches, and he had to go out of town on a recruiting trip. So he uh, told me just go ahead and just take the day off early. So I didn't argue with him. I did. And so I went to uh, down here to my favorite place. It's a place called Gifford Hill. There's a bunch of gravel pits down there. And, uh, man, like I said, they're just full of fish. And it, at the time, it was, you know, wasn't private access or anything else like that. And I had been going down there for a long time. And one of the first things that, that I hadn't ever noticed was I would see what looked like real long tracks. But I, exci- I actually thought that those were some kind of beaver tracks. As I said, I didn't believe in Bigfoot. And uh, so I thought they might be some kind of beaver track, and I would see those and just didn't really pay a whole lot of attention. Well, one day that I was going down there um, to go fishing, as I got down there, I crossed what's called Four Mile Creek and went to this gas line. Man, I was at my first gravel pit, you know, catching fish. And and, uh, as I get a little bit further on down there, I begin to notice, man, that there's a stink in the air that I'd never smelled before. But but this was normal because, like I said, there were hundreds of gravel pits down there. And uh, some people call them borrow pits. That's actually from borrowing the gravel there to build the roads and things. So borrow pits or gravel pits, whatever you like to call them. But as I walked down these pits and I'm fishing, I noticed that the smell keeps getting stronger and stronger. That was really about the only thing that was any different. There wasn't It wasn't a deal where there wasn't a noise in the woods or anything like that. And the only thing was different, we had uh, some big old rabbits down there called Swamp Jacks, and they would normally dart out of the the brush when you walk by and nearly scare you to death, but I didn't see any of them, and I thought I remember thinking that was strange, you know, not to see them, because you, you normally see, it was probably a 200-yard walk uh, into a place we went to the intersection, what we call the intersection of crossover, so I didn't see any, and I thought, oh, man, that's really nuts, but like I said, the fishing was good, I was there, I was out of school, I didn't have a care in the world, but it was getting towards twilight, and again, I noticed that the smell just kept getting worse. And it kept getting worse, and it kept getting worse. And I thought, my gosh, whatever that is, it sure is stinking. Well, I got down to the the intersection there, and there were two more gravel pits I wanted to fish. And as I said, darkness was getting ready to set in, and uh, you didn't really, the sun was right there starting to get behind the horizon. So I was fixing to step up my game real quick, go hit these other two gravel pits and go home because I still had a mile and a quarter, mile and a half to walk back to my vehicle. So as I get over to the intersection, this gas line's about 40 yards wide at this point, and I start crossing on a little road there. And man, all of a sudden, something just stopped me in my tracks, and I thought, man, you know, something's wrong. And I stopped, and I looked around. I didn't really see anything that was obvious, and I thought, man, it's just your imagination running around with you, you know. But the reason I thought that was about two to three weeks before when I was down at the same area, something had paced me through the woods. And as I was walking back to my vehicle, it followed me, and then I would stop, and then it would stop, and then... I'd wait a second or two, and I thought, nah, then I'd take off, and I'd start walking. Well, it would start walking, and when I'd stop, you'd hear that extra step or two. Well, after that happened two or three times, I kind of started jogging a little bit. I was just going to see if maybe there was something that was pacing me over there, see if there was an animal. 
And sure enough, once it did, it actually started pacing me, and it was a lot heavier, I knew, than what I, what I was. And uh, I was 6'2 and 240 by the time fixing to play college football. And uh, I, like I said, I knew what it, that there was something other that was awful big. And so, like I said, I sped it up quite a bit. And when I got down to the area where I had to go into the woods to get to my the cross, there was a little ford on this creek. To cross this little ford, this thing screamed at me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what is that? But not believing in uh, in Bigfoot, I assumed it to be a panther, you know, or something like that. And, and so, needless to say, man, I mean, I trusted it. And I got back to my vehicle. And then I took out of there. Well, uh, before I came back, I went to the store and I bought me a, a big old knife there, and I put that joker in my tackle box. And, and you know, when you're you're 17 years old and you're six two and two forty and two and fixing to play college ball, you're bulletproof. There's nothing that's going to hurt you. You think you can do anything. So I thought I remedied that situation. Well, that day, whenever I was there fishing, when I get right here to the to the uh, the intersection there, which is where the thing had had started pacing me. And I was smelling that smell. Like I said, I just noticed that there was a big shadow on the left-hand side of this road. And I thought, now that doesn't, you know, that doesn't look familiar because when you travel it that many times, you don't even think about it. But the more I stared at it, the more I stared at it, it I just knew it was out of place. Then I got to thinking, man, like I said, your imagination run. If you're going to go hit these gravel pits, you need to get it and go home. Well, right as I start walking, I walk maybe another 10 feet. I stop again. And I'm staring down this road, and I know something's wrong. It's just a sixth sense that you have, I mean, you know, that we all have. And all of a sudden, this big shadow that was on the left-hand side of the road began to move. And what it was, there was this thing was it was actually a Bigfoot. He had in his left hand, he had a limb from the tree above him. He had it pulled in front of his face, and he was eating on those leaves. Well, as he stood up, he sat there and made eye contact with me, and his eyes never left me the whole time. And as he stands, he stands. The limb gets to about six, six and a half foot. He continues to stand, so he's at about seven and a half to eight foot tall. And uh, it's solid black, or, or really, really chocolate brown or solid black, but I'm saying solid black with the, uh, with the twilight uh, light that was available. And he walked right out in the middle of this road, and this road would just be a road that they pulled gravel thumb. It was just one lane. And he walked out in the middle of the road, and I'm sitting there uh, wondering myself, what is it? That's got to be a bear. And then I knew there, you know, it wasn't a bear because bears don't walk on two feet. I thought, well, man, maybe that's a sloth. And I knew there wasn't any sloths in Arkansas. And the whole time I'm watching him, and he's watching me, and he stops in the middle of that blasted road, and he starts kind of rocking from one foot to the other there. And whenever he does, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm fixing to die. Because I knew what it was. I'd never seen a Bigfoot, but I knew right then that I was looking at the fat monster. So he sits there, and he looks at me and looks at me, and this whole thing lasts. It seemed like forever, but it was probably maybe a minute and a half, something like that, but he never moved. Then he walks back to his same little place he was, reaches up with his left hand. He pulls the limb down, the same one he had. He puts the leaves in his mouth. He skins the cat, pulls all those out, and then he walks back in the middle of the road. I'm like, oh, this is where I'm fixing to die. I'm like, Lord, just let, let him find my body. Please take, please take care of my mama. You know, and, and I am mm-hmm. feeling it. I'm realizing I want to run, but I can't run. I mean, I truly cannot run. I'm thinking, well, man, if you do take off running, that predator instinct is going to kick in. And he's going to get you. But then I thought, if you don't run off, he's going to get you. So what do you do? But I was a very strong swimmer. So there was a big gravel pit behind me. And I was, had put in my mind I was going to go dive into that pit. And then I was going to swim all the way across underwater, which I could have done at that time. So thinking that's a good plan, I'm sitting there, and finally his eyes kind of, you know, like I said, he's just almost like he's reading my mail. I've, I've said that saying before, but it was. He, it's like he was and, and saying, don't come down here. This is my territory. He wasn't real happy with me being there, and I could tell because the rocking had kind of speeded up a little bit, you know. So 
All of a sudden, he sits there, and he takes that one left foot, and he starts like he's going to walk toward he toward me. <clears throat> and that left foot, he pivots on that left foot, and then he takes two steps. And then whatever he does, he's into the woods. Well, I can hear that third step, and then I can't see anymore. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? And I was, I was could feel myself hyperventilating. I knew I had tears coming out of my eyes, and I was still trying to decide what to do. Well, I stood, you know, stood there 20 or 30 seconds, and I realized, hey, man, if, if you're going to go, you better go. So I, instead of diving in the pit like I thought, I was a miler at my high school. Track season had just finished up. So I took off running my mile like I would if I was in competition. So I run down the gas line. I jump across a 20-foot of four-mile creek, just like a steeplechaser. I run straight up a straight bank, and then I get into this onto the road there, and then I've got about 150 yards of open area of a field there. Well, I cross that field, and I'm like, a, the first, you know, I could, could think, oh, just like the, in the movie The Legend of Boggy Creek, when you see that little boy running down that field, that's kind of what it was like because there wasn't anything around to hide in. So, man, I ran like crazy, and I came to one more place where the road has a canopy of the trees, and I thought, he's, he's going to get me right here. This is it for sure. So I've got my tackle mm-hmm. box. I've got my rod and reel, and I'm running like crazy. I get to the gate. I throw them over the gate. I dive through the gate, and I've already got my keys in my hand. Well, I, and my, luckily, my, my hand uh, hits the lock. I open the door. I jump in right quick. I realize that, like I said, I can't hardly breathe. I can't hardly see because I have the, the, the you know, tears of fear in my eyes. And, and man, I've realized I've wet my pants. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, and like I said, I didn't do that. Just mm. for, I just, just I couldn't control any of those, you know. And then yeah. I looked out there and saw that my tackle box and my rod and reel are still outside. And I'm like, oh, great. And, man, I was a poor, poor kid, and, like, the fishing was very important to me. And that rod would have very special sentimental value. It was the rod had been given to me, but the reel was my dad. So the, so I had started my, my car. I pulled up. I grabbed it and threw it into the side right quick, and then uh, I was gone. Well, man, I'm thinking, if you see this thing cross the road in front of you, man, you're just not going to be able to handle it. And so uh, – I sit there the whole time. I mean, I basically whimpered, if that's what you want to call it, because I couldn't get my breath good. I finally get home. I live probably about, oh, probably about 15 miles from where this actually occurred. And I walk inside. My mom looks at me. She goes, what in the world is wrong with you? And I said, Mama, you're not going to believe it. I said, I saw the fat monster. And she, you know, she kind of chuckled for a minute, thinking I wasn't serious. And then she looked. She said, really? She said, I said, yeah. I said, I'm telling you the truth. And uh, she goes, oh, my gosh. Well, I tell her about it. And she goes, son, she said, she said, I believe you. She said, but I want you to know you probably ought not tell anybody. Well, and of course, like I said, you you got to tell somebody. It wasn't that I just wanted to, to appear stupid or have somebody ridicule me. You've kind of got to tell that story. You're wanting somebody to to uh, sympathize with you, to, to give you a little mental mm-hmm. relief there that, to help you share some of this fear that what you got and tell you, man, everything's, you know, you know everything is going to be okay. Well, like I said, I... I didn't take her advice. I told my best friend. First thing he did was laugh, and then, whenever he saw how hurt I was, you know, and the and the anger, like I said, and again, the tears kind of welled back up. And he said, "Man, I know you saw something." He said, "You didn't see the falcon monster," and I'm like, "Buddy, I saw the falcon monster," you know. And uh, I said, "That's my pet peeve phrase right there. I know you saw something, but I know you think you saw something, but you didn't see no bigfoot." No, that's not true. So then I told my coach about it, and he goes, "Man, I've been working you too hard, hadn't I?" You know. And, he was, he was always a comedian, always good for – and that made me feel a little better. I said, no. I said, I saw what I saw. He goes, man, I can tell by the way you're shook up. You know, you saw something. There it is again. You know, he didn't mean that in any kind of ugly way. But anyway, after that right there, I just – I quit telling people. But all of a sudden, that right there triggered in me the need to know. I had to know more about what I had seen. So I go to 
the uh, library there at my school, and I looked for Bigfoot books, Bigfoot articles. I went to the card catalog, and you know they keep every magazine that there is that they get, and I was able to find a few magazine articles. Uh, I was able to find one book that had something written about it, and uh, but there wasn't really any kind of TV shows. They didn't have any kind of media like they do now, you know, that you can rent and plug in. So, so I sit there and I I decide that I'm going to learn about it, and and so that's kind of how I've found out that most Sasquatchers who do research are, are just like me. They want to prove they weren't crazy, so they start reading, you know, everything that they can read, and start learning more about the creature, you know, and. Then they start. Uh, they start talking to other people. They eventually go to the woods, and before you know it, they're full-fledged, you know, Bigfoot hunters. And that's how mine happened. And so uh, ever since then, I've been very fortunate. Uh, every year, some years you don't see anything, but I still researched. I learned a lot about the tree structures that they make. Um, I learned more about footprint casting and some some of the things they do. And then this last year, um, this is 2019 right now, but this last year, starting from a sighting there. Uh, Actually, with Dustin down there in Oklahoma, at 2000 uh, and uh, September 14th, 2018, and I've mm-hmm. seen nine nine creatures since then, and so it's it's it, that's really got me going, and and that's one reason I'm so excited to talk about it because we've been able to get several pictures of these animals from three foot away. We've actually got tracks. I, I have what I promise you is the smallest baby foot Bigfoot track in the world. It's about three and a quarter inches long. And we have this animal and the mama as she's as she's walking by our our game camera, and uh, she's got this baby up on her shoulder. And so, uh, like I said, to, to have that happen, and we're still getting activity. And so, uh, it, it's really had me stoked up and and to be excited, not to brag, but to tell people to have more to be able to show people, hey, it, it's real. And I have sh- showed you know several people. I've showed the pictures. I think to maybe y'all. I have showed the mm-hmm. pictures to some other people. I've showed the tracks, and you can verify that what I've showed you is real. There's there's no way. So it's been really exciting to see some people this year change their minds, you know, and, and that's, yeah, what, that's what's good. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, the, uh, the pictures that you showed me kind of uh, threw my world for a loop, kind of. Uh, they, they are awesome. Um, I don't want to brag about them too much on here but uh, because they're yours, but... Uh, yeah, they. I can vouch for them. They are. They're beautiful, basically. <laughs> well, man, I, I appreciate that. Like I said, it's, it's just very fortunate. This area that I found here, it was. Uh, I have three um, Bigfoot partners that I generally hunt with. A man named Stephen Hill. Have another man named Randy Crawford and another guy named Shannon Cruz. And of course, I hunt also with my son Race and. Anytime Reese goes Bigfoot hunting, he's armed like a third world country, man. He comes complete with, <laughs> with swords, knives, and, and four or five guns, you know. So you're, he's like all states. You're in good hands with him as far as that goes. But uh, but I hunt with them, and so they're good. To, you know, they're very, very knowledgeable. My friend Shannon, he, is a, he works five days a week, plus he's a farmer. So he, he And he's a hunter. He understands the, uh, the land, the way the creatures relate to the land and stuff. My buddy Randy. Um, Randy Crawford, Randy and, and I accidentally have uh, had we're on the same not the same creature but about two miles away from each other and didn't even know it you know and my wife and his wife played softball together you know and so then Stephen Hill Stephen and I were playing softball back in uh, 1988 and he was 16 and, and I was 
already old then, older, not as old as I am now. But but uh, <laughs> we had a break from that summer heat, and I said, well, Stephen, let's go down here to Wicks to this low water bridge, and it was on the Costot River. So we went down there, and I was pretending that we were going to cool off, but I'd heard of some Bigfoot sightings up there on my UPS route. I was a UPS man 35 years. And I'd heard some Bigfoot sightings, so I was going to go check them out. So I just used that as an opportunity. Never told Stephen and, uh, at all those years. And then this year we got back together as friends. This was really neat. And he said, William, tell me something. I said, sure. He said, that time we went down to the Costart River to Low Water Bridge, he said, were we Bigfoot hunting? And I just died laughing. <laughs> I said, yes, we were. He said, I knew it. And so, uh, uh, so it was hilarious because, you know, then, and he said, man, I wish I'd have, you know, got to stay with you there. So, but those guys, and they, they're really helpful. Like I said, they're really smart. Uh, they go with you, um, um, to the woods. They, they do their own amount of research. And Shannon actually, um, uh, had his first sighting this year, man. So it's, I'm very excited for, for him because he had one at about 30 feet, looked be about a nine footer that came up on him while he was deer hunting. And, uh, so, I'm so, but he is, he's a good guy. So those guys are all honest men. Nobody's out for any glory or any, um, you know, grandiose, you know, or self grandeur or anything else like that. They're just, they're just want to, you know, get out there and, and tell people, hey, Bigfoot is real, man. We're not just, you know, we're not just pulling your leg. You know, why would you go out here and, and subject yourself to that kind of ridicule from people? There's going to be trolls even with this show, you know. Well, there's more than that in real mm-hmm. life, you know. So uh, to do that right there, so I'm very fortunate to have all those guys, you know, and my wife is an excellent Bigfoot hunter, man. She's, you know, she's got eyes of an eagle. She can see things that I miss, and she can find her way back to them. So uh, I take her with me, and she's had a, not sightings, but she's had, Hey, a couple of encounters there that she'll vouch for you for me too, and and for what the creature is that is real. So that's I, I feel really fortunate to have all those those with me, and it keeps my Bigfoot research going. Um, a good wife is 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 uh, imperative because you spend a lot of time out in the woods. You spend a lot of money. You know, this isn't an easy habit to have. You know, you can you can the the money just don't come in. You know, I've talked to several of these guys you see on TV, and I said, man, do you make? I said, how much money have you made this year? He goes, what money? I spent more money. You know, so so we all have a good laugh about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but man, my reward is seeing somebody's face change when they see when they see uh, a bigfoot or they change, or when they see some of these tree structures, they find their first footprint. And then say, hey man, this, these things are real. So it's it's really that's that's really something right there that is 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 its own reward right there. Mm-hmm. So uh, why don't you uh, talk to us about some of the encounters that you have, if you don't mind? Man, I I would love to. I, there's there, they kind of there's some that are scary. There's some that are uh, are, are kind of comical. They kind of come in all kind of different ones. That when you see what the creature can do and how smart he is, they sometimes border on the comical because they can outsmart you, doing so many things. But uh, one of the, the the strangest encounters I had, I was on a. Uh, it was about matter of fact, probably pretty close to being this exact same day, except it was several years ago, and I was doing a television show with KSLA TV Channel 12, a, a CBS affiliate, with a reporter named Clay Osterley. And our good friend Brian Impey had arranged for for me to to be on this program. So, as we were down there, uh, the guy said, "I would like to go somewhere where you've had a sighting." Well, I went to the place where on Easter Sunday, 2014, my wife and my son and I had one charge us. And then I came back the next day, and then he was still over there on the edge of the woods. I found five different tracks. So we went there. So I'm telling Clay uh, what all happened. He's already got the camera set up, and we're going down, kind of going over a view. 
and I said I was right down here, and I was about 40, 45 to 50 yards away, 40 to 50. You know, I didn't step it off, but still, that was about the range. I reached down, I grabbed two rocks there, and I started clacking those rocks together, just like I did that night whenever I was with my wife and my son. And so when I get through and I, I tell him what all happens if the creature came in, um, I throw the light on him right as he gets to the, the uh, edge of the road and he gets down uh, on all fours. He goes crashing through the brush and stands up, you know. And I'll tell you that story if you haven't heard it. I, I'm trying not to. That's not the story I have told folks before. But anyway, getting back to my story with Clay. So I sit there and when I get through telling Clay what has happened, I throw the rocks down. <clears throat> and me and Brian walk back to the camera, which is, like I said, about 45, 50 yards away. So Clay is getting ready to get started with his little segment there for, like I said, for Halloween. There's just getting started. And all of a sudden, I hear some noise over there in the woods. And I just started smiling because I knew what had happened. This Bigfoot, particular Bigfoot, responds to rock clacking. He doesn't hardly respond to anything else, but he responds to rock clacking. And I could hear him over there walking around. All of a sudden, Clay says, man, I mean, he stops recording. He says, I'm getting some whole lot of strange noise down here. And uh, and we all just kind of laughed and said, yeah, we can hear it. Well, then he gets started on the the, the what he's going to present again to the audience. And then he stops again. He goes, man, I swear I'm hearing rock clacking down here. Well, the cool part about that is you can hear the rock clacking. And we had actually gotten that Bigfoot to come up, and he was back there rock clacking uh, while Clay was getting started on this on this TV show. So we all gather ourselves. We have a good laugh. And he walks on back up, and sure enough, the creature goes. But uh, you can find that if anybody would like to to uh, look at that. It's called uh, Encounters with the Boggy Creek Monster, and they punch in the name Clay Osterly, and you can see that whole episode as it happened. So, so that was really, really a cool thing. But that same day, evidently, it was the one of those days where all the stars are lined up because we went down then to shoot another segment for another man who was a Bigfoot witness, and Brian and uh, and Clay and this other man had already gotten down to where we were going. So, as we get down there, I stopped a little bit short, and I was getting some things out of my truck, and when I did, I got a handful of white oak acres thrown at me. And I looked around, and I heard something kind of stepping around, and I thought, there he is. So sure enough, I walk up there, and I tell Brian and Clay and, and Tom Zorn, the man who was there, I said, we got a Bigfoot over here in the woods. that he just pelted me with a bunch of white oak acorns. So they start their story, and all of a sudden, here comes a big, giant oh, The biggest acorn there is called an overcup acorn. And here comes a big, giant overcup acorn thrown over me, and it hits Brian right on the shoulder and the trapezius muscle. He looks at me, he goes, dang him, that hurt. And I said, Brian, I'm standing right in front of you. I didn't do that. <laughs> so he looks up, he, he gets his camera, and there's no trees up above for that thing to, to fall from. So that thing, had, not only he pelted me good, but the one acorn he decided to throw at Brian, he nailed him good. And so we actually, mm-hmm. we all had a good laugh about that. And, and that was one of those I said, that comes from the, the comical to the surprising, you know. So so that that was really, really good. <laughs> Uh, it's a strange day, but it was a, a wonderful day. And like I said, you can see that if if they go and look at that clip, you can see it on YouTube. There, the story I was telling about my the one that came up on us that night. Uh, my son was in dental school, and he would come home. And, hey man, he's a, like I said, a good big hunter, bigfoot hunter. He really enjoys it. So he would ask my wife, "Will you go with us to the woods?" And she's like, "No, nah, I don't want to." Well, she, pretty soon she felt like he was going to quit asking. So anyway. Uh, he asked her this night, and she goes, yeah, I'll go with you, man. Well, he's like, really? She goes, yeah. So we had had activity at this place. We had had, uh, on December 9th, we had had five bell tone ca- uh, calls where I would howl and he would howl. 
I would howl and he would howl. And Reese finally remembered he had a recorder on his phone. I just had a little bit small flip phone. I didn't have one. Well, he's able to get it, and he's able to get one more calling at the end. And then Reese did a call, and his voice cracked. And, man, the things just shut up. And when they did, the woods just got deathly silent, like what the rumor is, you know, or what the, the classic motto is, the woods became silent. Well, it did. So we realized right there that we had the creature down there. But Easter Sunday, we take Cindy down there, and we're sitting there, and we pull up, and I pull down the tailgate, and she's sitting there playing words with friends, and she's playing Angry Birds, and uh, Reese is over there. <laughs> Reese is, he does a lot of stuff, but he does a lot of baiting and stuff. So he had went down, he put out some 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 uh, beef jerky over there in the trees and things like that, and he's he's looking around, he's doing some tree knocking, and I'm just I've done a call or two, and and. Uh, and I was just sitting there listening. Well, it took about 45 minutes before this joker finally came in. Well, finally, I hear this one call, and it's like a barred owl, but it's not the who cooks for you. The, what you heard, it was just the single, just the single, whoo, like that. And I told Zena, I said, there he is. And uh, so then we started hearing him over there kind of walking around. And what they'll do, they'll try to get somewhere close to where they can see what you are. And I think she was probably the catalyst because we'd never been down there um, with a female before. So she's sitting there, and he's over there kind of trying to sneak up on us. I could hear him walking, and I told Cindy, I said, he's right over there. She goes, where? And I said, you got to be quiet. I said, he can hear you. So he stopped right there, and I said, he's standing right over there. So she waits a little bit, and he starts walking a little bit. I said, Cindy, I said, we definitely got one coming. Where? I don't hear him. I said, you got to be quiet. So anyway, she gets <laughs> quiet. She sits there, and she goes back to Angry Birds. Well, I think about that time he picked up her scent because all of a sudden he started stomping as he was walking. Rather than tiptoeing, he started, spoon, spoon, spoon. So I thought, huh, this might be a good time to try to see how he reacts to a howl call, so or actually a whoop call. So I I did two big long whoop, whoop, and whenever I did, man, I, I said the wrong thing in Bigfoot language because he starts charging towards us. And uh, I told Cindy, I said, Cindy, remember I told you we got one over here coming in? She says, yep. I said, here he comes. And uh, she says, I don't hear nothing. Buddy, about that time she heard him, she goes, I hear him now. And then she jumps up and she goes, I'm getting in the truck. So I'm sitting there, and, of course, me being the dad and, and the husband, and I've got a, uh, I, I don't carry a pistol as a rule to shoot a big foot. I carry a pistol for protection for my family. I carry it uh, for protection from, man, we have a hog population. It's just incredible down here. We also have uh mountain lions we also have some black panthers we also have a lot of coyotes and a lot of bobcats and so i carry and we've got a lot of idiots that that don't people that don't know how to act so i carry that for protection well anyway i went ahead and pulled my pistol out and i had a spotlight and they do not care for light the ones i've seen i put them in a spotlight man they take off running so i'm sitting there waiting on him and here he comes to the edge of the wood line right there and right as he gets there i was just a half a second too early, but I knew that if I, if I didn't stop him before he came out, I was afraid it was really going to be a physical altercation, and I didn't know how bad it was going to be, but I knew who was going to be in it, you know, and that was not something I was necessarily looking forward to, but I knew I was going to protect my family. Well, he went down on all fours. I said, he runs around the edge of the wood line for about 30, 40 yards, and I can't catch him, man. I'm trying my best with that daggum light, and he goes, you're behind him, you're behind him, you're behind him. Man, well, he stands up, and then he goes to crashing through the brush, and it's like I can only tell people, and then I use the same line, but this is the only way you can describe it. It was like an elephant driving a bulldozer, and he was tearing stuff up. He crosses the road, and he goes in there and jumps in a tree about 40, 50 yards from us. So we can hear him, and, man, then everything goes deathly silent. And, I mean, there wasn't a – bugs were afraid to breathe. 
And uh, so everything's silent, and it's about two or three minutes. And he goes, oh, my gosh, do you hear that? I said, I don't hear anything. She goes, that's what I'm talking about. There's nothing. Well, he finally jumps down. Well, he takes off back then towards the woods, towards Sulphur River. Well, there was another one with him, and you could hear him, whoo, 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 as he was running beside him. So, oh, my gosh. So Cindy said, I've had enough. She said, if you all hear that truck starting, he said, you better jump in the back because I'm gone. Well, I always left my keys in the truck, and I left the window down just in case something like that. Because when emergency happens, you try to hit that little keyhole. That's a lot of times when people get, get caught in trouble. So I'll leave it there. You know, that little bit can make a whole lot of difference. So she gets over there on the driver's side, and she said, I mean it. If this truck starts up, you better jump in the back. And, of course, I, I kid with her. But I said, you mean you're going to leave your, your husband and your only son down here? She goes, I'll have more kids. <laughs> she goes, you better get in the truck. And, buddy, people talk about fakes. She wasn't faking. I'm telling you. So, uh, anyway, we went ahead and left, and then we get ha- halfway out of there. And she goes, just what made you think this was a good idea? You know, as excited as she was at the time. Now it's in the retrospect. And I said, Cindy, because you've always said you wanted to see one, and we knew this animal was here, and we wanted you to try to see it. Well, this we had been, uh, I guess, married probably 30, probably 30 years in the two years we dated. So 32 years there, and I haven't been convinced her. Well, this right here was able to convince her that next day when I'm off, she says, let's go back to the woods. I said, I'll go back to the woods. You're not going back to the woods. And I said, because you were the reason that he got so aggressive. And they react to females differently, you know, and, and I think anybody that, that, that Sasquatch researches or, or hunts or, or has accidentally had that accidental uh, encounter, they'll tell you that if you've got females around, they react differently. They're more responsive in a con- in a kind way mm-hmm. to the females, but, man, it makes them mad at the men now. They want to they intimidate mm-hmm. the men and get them out of there. So uh, as, as we true. get out of there, then I go... Hell, it is. I go that next day, and then I find the five tracks where I had told her he had stopped. I find two tracks right there. They're about three foot apart, and I don't mean as far as stride distance. I mean three foot with one leg almost parallel to the other one, and 16 and a half or 17 inches there. And I'm 280 pounds at the time, and I'm not even making a dent in the soil. And he's going all the way down to wet soil, which is about two and a half, about two and a half inches deep. Well, then I've got one there that I have. Uh, I had a 44 caliber Magnum. And I put it down for size range. Well, then I take those pictures, and then I can see him over on the edge over the woods. So I start trying to sneak up on him. Well, there were some good oak trees there, and I could sneak for a little bit and peek around. He was still there, but he was kind of hugging the oak tree. Like if you've ever seen the the, the classic uh, deal where they'll reach around the tree and they'll kind of lean back and forth. Well, he was hugging that oak tree, and then I'd have to kind of move around. Well, I got to where the last oak tree was about 40 yards away, and I looked around that oak tree, and he was gone, and I never heard him walk away. Well, man, then that's when I realized, hey, he's done this stuff before, and he's fixing to go hunting. So that's whenever I uh, got myself out of there. I called my wife. I said, I'm on my way home. I said, he's down here. And I said, I had a side on him. I said, now he's gone. I don't know where he's at. So, you know, if I'm not home in an hour, you know, call somebody. So uh, got home, and everything was cool, but that's uh, – so then she then she knew right then. I showed her those pictures, and then uh, ever since then she's been one of my one of my best Bigfoot um, uh, hunters with me, Bigfoot helpers there. Cause she mentioned said she can see things eagles can't see, you know. So so that's kind of been a, one of those uh, one of those things that's really been good with having her with. Me. So we went down one time there. Uh, <clears throat> having her down there and I asked her to go again and I said Cindy will you go again she goes why should I she goes I already know there's something down there 
And I said, well, I had taken my niece down there on uh, August the 7th, um, down there of 2014, that same year, and she had her boyfriend, his twin brother, and myself, and we were down there. And uh, so we actually got the Bigfoot to come come in and charge us. He was stomping, doing some bluff charges and stuff. When I said hurt my niece in the back of my truck, she was on the wheel well. When I went back to her, she was in the middle of the vehicle, so she couldn't, so nothing could reach in and get her. So she definitely thought she was safe. But so I went down to a fire lane there, and I did another call. Well, man, he covers 200 yards in no time, just flat. So uh, we go to eat this next uh, Saturday night there with this friend of mine, with Randy, my other Bigfoot researcher. And so when we got through, uh, I said, well, let's go down here to the river, this poor boy landing. Well, his wife wasn't a believer. And you know me, I couldn't stand for that, you know. So here we go to the river. And so <laughs> when his daughter, very, very athletic, very pretty girl, very smart girl, very athletic. And so uh, we got down there on the banks of Sulphur River. And you've seen that there's a lot of little big rocks and stuff down there. And she goes, Dad, can I throw a rock? And I told her, oh, go ahead, Caroline, go ahead and throw that rock. So she throws the rock into the water. And then it's about 20 or 30 seconds later, and you hear something coming through the tree. And it will and she goes, what was that? I said, just throw you another one. So she throws another one. Well, when she does, it's about 20 or 30 seconds later, and sure enough, you hear that rock coming through the tree. Go-junk. And she goes, what is that? And I said, you know what that is. And she goes, uh-uh. I said, throw you another one. Well, she throws another one. The same thing happens, except this time we hear something coming through the woods. And right around the bend, we didn't have visibility. There was a little forward where it was probably not even knee-deep for a human being the way the river was at the time. And we hear the biggest splash. <clears throat> and my buddy Randy says he's either thrown a big rock in the water or he has jumped in. Well, man, you can hear slosh, slosh, slosh. I said, Randy, he is in the river crossing this river. So my wife, her classic line, I'm getting in the truck. Well, she goes. Well, Randy's wife starts walking back <laughs> up, up the now, this is no lie. She starts walking about halfway up the boat ramp, and whenever she does, then she just stops, and she's like, ooh, I smell that, that dead fish smell you're smelling. And she actually starts dry heaving. So I go up there to help her. I've got the only pistol of the bunch. I go up there to help her, and my eyes, man, just start flooding with water just like I'm peeling onions, and I'm not scared or anything like that. It's just one of those deals, I think, where they can do, they can control where you can't control some of your functions. And, I mean, tears are just rolling down my eyes, so I get her to the truck. I go back and get Randy and Caroline, and we sit there for another 10 minutes, and this thing just starts stinking us out, man, like you wouldn't believe. And on and on and on he goes. So, finally, we just, we, you know, it's getting late, and so we decide we're going to leave. We get about 10 minutes away, and I hear my wife say, you've got to turn back around. Well, man, I figured right then that meant she's done left her cell phone up there on that rock that she was recording with. And I said, you left your cell phone, didn't you? She goes, nope. She goes, I've got to know if that smell is still there. Well, man, I recognized the voice as being my wife's, but I didn't recognize that as being anything that she would have said. But being her car, we turned around, <laughs> and we went back. And, buddy, it was just like I was in a Glade air freshener commercial. There was no bad smell nothing everything the birds were, were you know the night birds were still back to singing and the bird, the crickets and the other insects were making all kinds of noise and man you couldn't even tell that anything had happened so my wife goes well you've always told me that you can fake everything but you can't fake the smell and i said that's exactly right because it's like a skunk wading through mm-hmm. raw sewage it's been eating that's been eating raw eggs you know or been eating sour eggs so uh, she goes well now i know what you mean so um after that then i've got 
Of course, Randy's on my side. Randy knows they exist because he, he had uh, walked up on one that was just being ready to be uh, not necessarily skinned but have his insides took out. It, the head was actually in a tree, the V of a tree, or the Y of a limb, actually like a gambrel. And that rigor mortis hadn't even set in, and he yes, he inter- interrupted his meal. But so I had made a believer out of 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 a Kelly and Cindy, and and Caroline knew what it was. But you know, being 16, she was too busy living life to worry about it. She knew Daddy's going to take care of her. Dad wasn't will was going to help. So uh, so those are some real interesting stories that we've had that have happened down there, and they're just uh, you know, just just real real neat that 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 the surprise element hits you because you never know really. Um, how they're going to turn out, you know. But most of them, if they were going to get me as a rule, they already would have. But the things that they can do and the, the things that go along are just incredible. Wow. So we have uh, we have gone down there before, and I think if you remember the time that I, that we all went down there, and I had uh, I was very fortunate working at UPS, you know, to meet a lot of people. And I had met a lady named Tracy, and Tracy was the newspaper thrower for the the Falk area, and so she had approached me one Saturday afternoon. And she goes, uh, she goes, are, are you with the movie? And and I said, well, we're down here shooting a documentary, not necessarily the movie. Well, she finally recognized me. I cut my hair short, and she goes, William. I said, Tracy, and uh, she goes, are, are you with the movie? And I said, well, kind of. And uh, she goes, have you seen him? She said, you have, hadn't you? I said, yeah, I have. She goes, I have too. And I said, really, where did you see him? And she said, last night when I was throwing the papers. And she said, he nearly ran into the side panel of my car. So, man, you know I had to know more about it. So I said, Tracy, where was it? So she told me what county road it was. So I go and I look around and I park my car and there's a big berry patch. Man, they're nuts about eating berries, you know. And I found a big old trail running right beside that berry patch. I find a few tracks. I actually accidentally run to a snapping turtle that tried to bite one of my toes off that I was too busy looking for Bigfoot and not looking at the ground. But, but so I get in there, and uh, I go back the next day. I met y'all down, at, uh, down there around the river. Well, as we went back the next day, um, if you can remember, we found a dead calf that had been yep. laid on the middle of this trail. The clo- And this calf was like a brindle color. The closest farm anywhere I took the next day after y'all went home. I took the next day and drove the roads all around there. I finally found the closest farm that had any kind of brindle cows like that, and it was eight-tenths of a mile away as the crow flies. It was probably a mile and a half by if you had to take those county roads getting through there. And so we set up a camera, could never get anything to come back to it. But the fact that we found that calf, and that calf, rigor mortis hadn't set in either. So that was was really one of the strange things that that another thing that we had happened that year. So it's been... uh, one of those things that you just you just never know what's going to happen. And I've been back there time and time again, and uh, I see that I found several tracks along the edge of that berry patch. They love the berries. I said the dewberries. Um, I have a friend that has dewberry patches behind his house, and uh, he's seen a mom and a baby back there one time, and he was riding his four-wheeler. Well, man, she pushed the baby away, and she turned and snarled at him, showed those teeth, and uh, he said, man, he said, I like to wreck that four-wheeler getting back to the house. And she likes to wreck getting away from me, he said, but... You know, he said it was right to say he was going to give away the fastest. He said, "I think I won." So, uh, so it's really, really pretty cool. And to to uh, the things these things that they can do, they're just they're just amazing. And uh, we just got through this last week here, uh, you know, with the Texas Bigfoot Conference, you know, and the Hanobi Bigfoot Conference, and 
I, I got to talk to a lot of people there, and, and man, the the number of sightings, they're just like uh, I am. They tend to think that the numbers are are starting to uh, to uh, to increase some. Uh, but you know that when you get a sighting, you know the, the scariest sightings that you have are going to be, you know, with your family, and uh, you know you're thinking of yourself. But when you've got somebody else to be responsible for, um, about oh, I guess probably eight years after I had my first encounter in 1977, um, I had my little nephew. He was eight years old. I just bought a new boat, and I wasn't sure, you know, how fast it would run. I put a new motor on there, but he was all excited for me. He was out of school, and so we went down to Mercer Boat Ramp down there, and sure enough, as we got down to Mercer Bio Boat Ramp, Mercer, Mercer Bio was world famous for, for Bigfoot encounters and Bigfoot sightings. And we noticed again that the smell, there's some of these, uh, fishermen had dumped a bunch of heads and dead fish. They would have what's called rotenone, and they would put the rotenone in the, the bio there to uh, poison off some of the trash fish. Well, some of these fishermen come along, got a bunch of them, decided they wouldn't, didn't want to keep them, so they had dumped them on the parking lot. Of course, it was hot, so they were really stinking good. So, you know, we sit there and, and uh, loaded the boat and waited around the dead fish and everything else like that. And so when we come back, like I said, being a new boat, I wasn't sure how long it was going to take. Well, we got there about 30 minutes after dark. And uh, so I'll go up there, and my nephew's standing there with the boat, making sure it doesn't float away. So I go get the truck. I back the boat down. I pull it onto the trailer, but I haven't tied it down yet. I pull up the boat ramp, and we're sitting there kind of just peeling around. Of course, we're laughing. We've had a good time. And all of a sudden, on the corner of this boat ramp, this thing stands up, and it, I mean, just massive, just I mean, for, but it went on. It actually vibrated your clothes, and it probably went on for about a four to five mm-hmm. second roar. And I've got an eight year old kid with me, and I said, "Chris, get in the truck." He goes, "What was that?" And I said, "Chris, get in the truck." But I said, "Get in the truck." So he gets in the truck. I don't even tie my boat down. Heck, of that boat. I got in there and I drove down <laughs> one mile to where Road Two Thirty Seven is, where there were houses around, and that's where I got out and tied my boat. Well, I was like, "Getting out?" He goes, "You're not getting out, are you?" I said, "Don't worry about it. Just." Just everything will be fine. Just stay in the truck. So I tied it down and I left. That's whenever I knew then, too, that my territory and his overlapped. And I wasn't none too happy about that. Evidently, he wasn't either. But I was going to learn what it took to, to, to avoid him or to have a sighting on purpose one of the two. But we were coming to meetings in the mines, and so far his mind was better than mine because he was, he was batting two and I was batting zero. But I was fixing to learn about him, and I did, you know, so uh, – so that that happened, and then uh, my son and I were at, at uh, McNabb, Arkansas. We had a deer lease there, and, and uh, uh, we went to uh, we bought him a, a bow for the previous Christmas, and so it was the first bow season we actually had to use it. So as we're getting in there, we put out a feeder, and uh, as we put the feeder out then, we'd you know, fill it with corn and everything. Well, we would go back uh, and check it before the season started, and the daggum feeder would be just knocked over. And I thought, well, man, that's blasted hogs. You know, we'd stand it back up and we'd leave, and I'd come back the next day, and uh, it would be knocked over again. So I went to the hardware store, and I got three pieces of three-foot pipe. And I took a sledgehammer, and I drove them in two foot into the ground, and then I stuck the legs in there. There was a foot sticking out, so, I mean, it was it was perfect. It wasn't going to just come over by itself anymore. So by then, the little spinner's up about nine feet tall. And so uh, we go, I get an afternoon where I can actually take off and go deer hunting. So I get Reese out of school, and here we go to the, the deer camp. So uh, I put him, he's in a little 10-foot ambusher right uh, above the ground there. And 
that previous Sunday I had found a, a deer trail of what I thought was a deer trail of all deer trails. And I had actually smelled the creature, but I thought it was hogs because I utilize uh, several of the websites that they have there, the the, uh, the organizations, and they'll give you the uh, reports according to counties and states and, and, and the dates and stuff like that. And I went back and I looked at Hempstead County, which is, is where McNabb is, and there weren't any sightings. So I just knew I was dealing with hogs rather than a Bigfoot. Well, that afternoon, right as like I said, it seems to be about twilight. It was actually a little bit darker than that, and I was probably 100 yards away, kind of letting him be a man, kind of cut his teeth, so to speak. And all of a sudden, man, you hear this thing go, if you've ever heard the Sierra growl, uh, it, it's uh, the, the Sierra sounds that you have. It's called the Sierra growl, but trust me, it's not a growl. And all of a sudden, it goes, I mean, it's just so loud, and the woods are just vibrating, and then it stops. And it waits about five seconds, and it does it again. Well, man, man, you talk about scared. I had fight or flight syndrome for my son, and again, the tears started flowing. I kicked my chair over. I had a uh, 22 pistol that had nine shots. I had a machete, and I had a crossbow, and I tried to run keeping that bolt on that crossbow just in case I needed it. And I knew I was going to get back to my son. I'm thinking, man, I hope that thing hasn't found reach because he's only 10 feet off the ground. So I get up there and I run as fast as I can to get right to where there's a curve in the road where he can see me and I stop because I don't want to scare him. And uh, I walk up there and I said, Reese, it's getting dark. Said, you about ready to go? He goes, did you hear that noise? And I said, yes, I heard that noise. He goes, what was that? And, of course, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't really want to lie to him, but I kind of what made out like it could be. I said, oh, that was just some barred owls laughing. And he goes, no, it wasn't. He said, that's that sound that Bigfoot makes on Animal Planet. Well, of course, he had me, and I wasn't going to lie to him and lose his trust and everything else, too. I said, yeah, it was. He said, what are we going to do? You know he's sitting here looking at us, and truly, he probably was. And I said, I'm going to throw the keys down. He was about 13, I think, and I said, if something happens, you just get the keys, you go get in the truck, and you drive off. I'll be fine. I said, because I'm going to fix him up with this crossbow and his 22. And of course, it wouldn't have done anything. but just scratch mosquito bites for him, but it solved, it solved Reese's <laughs> mind, so he comes on down. <laughs> And we go to the truck, and I'm afraid as all get out that we're going to have an encounter on that way. But sure enough, we don't have one. And we get to the truck. We take off. Um, I go back there to my feeder. My feeder is all crumpled over. I mean, three three-eighths-inch bolts are, are broken. The harness that holds the uh, plastic barrel, it's broken, and the legs are, are bent. There's a giant about an eight- or nine-inch scratch running right down the side. And so uh, I left the feeder there, and uh, I waited till the next weekend when I had some men with me, and we went down there and picked it up. Well, muzzleloader season starts right after deer season. And so when muzzleloader season started, Reese had bought him a nine-shot forty-four caliber muzzleloader pistol. And, of course, it was really for the Bigfoot because muzzleloader, if you all know anything about muzzleloading, <laughs> it's about like a cannon. You load it through the barrel, you've got <laughs> one shot, and that's it. Well, he didn't want to just have one shot. He wanted 10. He wanted what was in the uh, the, the muzzleloader rifle. He also wanted the nine that was in that pistol. So as we get up that morning, there's a man there, and he was always joking, a very, very good-natured guy. And he was messing with Reese. He goes, hey, what's that nine-shot pistol for? He says, it's going to take you that many shots to kill something. Boy, and Reese just bristled. But he didn't want to tell him about what had happened to us the previous week there. And I said, no, I said, that's just in case you couldn't hit anything, and he was going to let you borrow it. So we had a big laugh, you know, and everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> we come back there at, at noon and we're seeing everybody who shot their deer and I, I passed on one that morning just for you know just for general purposes just because I know he was still kind of uh, 
know, still kind of upset about what had happened. So as we get through there, my buddy walks back, and he goes, well, tell me. He said, what's the real story behind that muzzleloader pistol? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you. He said, you ain't going to believe it. So uh, I tell him what happens to us, and he goes, well, man, I have never had that happen to me. Uh, he said, but I'm not saying it couldn't. He said, it's just awful, awful strange. But uh, he said, uh, I, I know something like that that's very similar, and he tells me about a man who was on our dearly Sioux turkey hunted. That's all he did was just turkey hunt during the spring. And so he did a lot of scouting, very, very dedicated turkey hunter. Well, he does a lot of scouting. Well, whenever he's down there one day looking around, right as he goes up over a hill and goes down, there's a ravine uh, with a little creek down at the bottom right there. And as he goes over this hill, stepping up out of this creek is a Bigfoot stepping up. And so it's it's eye to eye with him at 35 feet. And he, he stops, and the Bigfoot jumps down kind of, almost in a hunkering position, and like it's trying to imitate a tree. And he said the thing uh, kind of doubted its head, or about its head, it kind of put its arms down and was just sitting there, just like, you know, well, you, you can't see me. Well, the the man, he said, man, he said, I want to run. Same thing I said. He said, I want to run. He said, I didn't have a gun. I didn't have nothing. Well, finally, the Bigfoot got tired of playing, you know, the, the staring game, and it jumped up and took off right back towards camp where his truck was parked. So uh, the man sat there and finally got control of himself. Well, we had a big pond there, so he went and got on the levee so he could see he was higher up. He went back and got in his truck, and he got in his truck and started. He realized he was like me. He was hyperventilating. He was crying. He hadn't wet his pants, but he couldn't breathe. And he's sitting there trying to get his breath in our ramrod for our deer camp. He would come through, and he would cut through just checking on everything. Well, he just happens to wander by that day. And he went up to him. He said, man, he said, are you okay? He goes, I'll be fine. And he said, what's wrong? He goes, man, you're not going to believe me if I tell you. I'll be okay. He said, what is wrong? So he tells him what happens on here. And the man that week quit our deer camp. I mean, he uh, he was one of the only ones that we had there that just strictly turkey hunted. But because of that sighting right there. So the guy, the ramrod, is the one who is that we're telling the story to. Well, that week then, he got up there on Tuesday. And his stand is about a mile through the woods, and it's covered in canopy. It's like you're driving through a tunnel, and he's a, you have to be on the four-wheeler. Well, he rides back through there, and, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful stand. It's on a place called Yellow Creek, which runs off of Red River down there and so, and a little river. So he's sitting back there that afternoon, and about 4 o'clock, he, he, we had a, uh, a deal of switch cane and bamboo. Well, something come through the switch cane and bamboo, and he said it was tearing up Jack, and it started that screaming. And when it got to his four-wheeler, it let out, he said, the loudest scream he's ever heard in his life. He said, man, he lost all his breath, that he couldn't breathe, that he'd sit there. He made sure his muzzleloader was, was loaded, but he only had the one shot, and he had a he had a pocket knife. He told me, he said, I guess in case he wanted me to do his nails. So uh, we sit there, and, and, uh, and I mean, and that was pretty astute observation because he wasn't going to do anything with it. And he said the thing whoops a couple of times. He thought he could hear another one over there, and then they go away, he thinks. Well, then right at sunset, when it came time to get down, the thing screamed. He was about 50 yards from where his uh, four-wheeler is. He said, man, I know now how a man feels when he's going to death row in prison. He said, because that's exactly how I felt. He said, you wasn't going to get me out there when it was dark and I couldn't see him. He said, I was going to leave. He said, so I run to my four-wheeler and I jump on right quick. And it's normally real cold nature. He said, thank goodness it started. And, hey, man, he took out of there probably going 50 miles an hour. Well, he gets to the road. <clears throat> the man, we have to uh, a, a rule on there that you can't be within 300 yards of another hunter. Well, the man who was 300 yards away 
says to him, he said, man, did you hear that noise? And he said, yeah, I heard it. And he goes, what was that? He said, it really filled the woods. Well, that was the term that me and Reese had told him that happened whenever we got that Sierra growl the previous week. And so uh, we come back Saturday, and we're all camping in the camp house. Well, look, here's the ramrod, and on the ramrod's hip is a nine-shot muzzleloader pistol. So I walked over to him, and I said, hey, buddy. I said, what's the story behind that nine-shot muzzleloader pistol you got there? He has a big laugh, and Gordon Reese does, too. Then by then, Reese is really feeling good because you know, he's not the only one. He said, man, it's like you said. You know, if you shoot it, you can't finish it off with anything but a muzzleloader. And I said, yeah, I bet you. So uh, later on, when everybody leaves, I get the real story. Well, he done had his encounter. So then he was a, he was a full-fledged believer. So uh, after that right there, we uh, we we had two more brothers that had the thing come in on Thanksgiving Day. And, uh, man, the thing they were thankful for when they went home on Thanksgiving, their, their family got there late. But the thing that they were fa- uh, thankful for was the fact that those two of them came in on them and they didn't kill them that day. They went home and parked that parked that, uh, they had a camper trailer. They parked that camper trailer in the driveway, decided that was the safest place for it to be, and that's where they spent the rest of the hunting season. So <laughs> it's, it's really a, it's really amazing uh, the things that you get, and I've had, it doesn't always turn out like you think. I had a yeah. uh, man that was, uh, I was there, and this, I had after I'd had the Bigfoot that had run me out of there while I was fishing, I had to find a new hunting spot because that's also where I hunted. Well, I found a spot about, about probably about five miles away, and uh, I went there looking around, man, there was lots of deer, and there was turkeys and rabbits and squirrels. So so uh, I'm excited about going in there. And I had just started uh, I build, building a stand out of lumber rather than, than you know, putting in one that was aluminum or anything else like that. So I wasn't able to finish. But when deer season finally gets here, first day of, of deer season in Arkansas is like a, a national holiday. I mean, there's a lot of towns that close their schools. <laughs> there's a lot of businesses that close. I mean, it's serious business. And so... Uh, come to find out i had to work that day and i had just gotten married and uh you know the guy was very very good to uh, to work me when i needed it because you know i was working part-time at ups throwing a paper route working in the grocery store and then working construction with this guy when i could you know to make ends meet so he needed me to work so it was first day of deer season i'm like sure why not well we get through about 12 30 and i'm like he said man he could get in the woods i know that's where you want to be so so i left and and uh, i I got down to where I was going to hunt. I remember a big old tree that had fallen, and it was still leaning. I could walk right up the trunk and get behind a limb there in some of those leaves and, and be almost in like a blind. So I thought, well, I'm going to go get in that digging tree since I don't have time to you know, try to go make a stand. So I'm sitting there in the tree, and, man, I mean, everything is great. You know, the the, the pressure of work is over with. I've done stop, you know, and cooled off, got a soda pop, you know, and candy bar and enjoying myself. And, I'm getting ready to see, you know, Buck, and all of a sudden I hear these footsteps coming towards me. And I'm like, uh-huh, here comes a buck. So I get up there and I kind of steady my rifle a little bit. <clears throat> and I steady my, my seat on this limb that I was sitting on. And when I turn back around, I see the most horrible thing that I've ever seen in my life. And it wasn't a Bigfoot. What I saw was a hunter on the ground that had his gun pointed up in the air towards me, fixing to shoot me. And I screamed at him. I said, "Hey!" And then he looked at me. And of course, he, I was lucky he didn't sh- he didn't shoot me right there from being, you know, from being startled. I said, "Hey, Turtles. what are you doing?" Yeah. And uh, he goes, "I thought you was a deer." And I said, "How many deer you ever seen climb a tree?" And he didn't have on any <laughs> hunter's orange. You know, hunter's orange is a rule in Arkansas. He had none of that on. He goes, 
He goes, no, nah, that that's not it. And I said, well, what is it? And he goes, well, he said, he said, I'm just sorry. He said, I said, man, I said you ought to be. I said, man, I said your body never rule there is. You don't know what you're what you're seeing. You're you're pointing your gun when you don't know. I said you don't have on Hunter's orange. And he said, well, I, he said I just wasn't sure what you was. He said, man, I'm sorry, man. I left. He's about 65 year old man. Normally I'm real respectful to my elders, but that was such a scary situation. So I go up to the Days Creek Grocery there, and uh, I'm stopping to get a soda pop before I leave, and then. Uh, there's some guys sitting outside and they're telling their stories. And I said, man, I said, you'll never believe what happened to me. I said, I get down there and there's a man and I'm sitting up in a tree now and I'm sitting 25 foot high and he's got his gun pointed towards me thinking I'm a deer. And one of the guys sitting there started laughing, called his name. He goes, that's oh, so-and-so. And he said, he was down here a couple of weeks ago and <clears throat> swore up and down. He had three big old hairy things following back out to his truck. And uh, of course, man, that instantly struck up, you know, the, the antenna, on my on my back went way up and I said, Really? He goes, Yeah, he said, Man, he was out there hunting by himself and said he was he was down there squirrel hunting and he said the things kind of walked up on him and started following him and said they followed him all the way to his truck, said he jumped in and and uh, went home and told his wife about it, said she's the only one who believes it, you know, but but he swears it's true. So uh, he said he said, Did he have a that same squirrel gun or you know, did he have the I said, No, I said he had a you know, big deer rifle. He goes, I guess he learned his lesson. He said he's afraid his friends, as he calls them, was going to come back. And, of course, one of the guys is sitting up there, and, you know, he's a real smart. And he goes, that wasn't no that wasn't no Bigfoot. He said, that was some of them hippies that's moved in over on Highway 71, you know, and they's all hee-hawing and all that <laughs> stuff like that. But there was something this man had seen being a 65-year-old hunter that made him forget all the ethics that he had been learned as a, as a young man, I'm sure, hunting all his life, mm-hmm. and that made him, and that's the effect that seeing a Bigfoot can have on you. Um, I'll share one more story, then I'll let you all say something. But uh, I was uh, back <laughs> a, about four years ago. I was in Little Rock, and I was fixing to have a surgical procedure. And uh, so we're in there, and I'm in the, the prep room there, and so the lady is taking my blood pressure. And so she's got the cuff on my arm, and she's starting to pump it up, and she looks, and she sees I'm reading a book about Bigfoot. She says, oh, Bigfoot. And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, yeah, you live in Texarkana, don't you? I said, yeah. She goes, fat monster. She said, have you ever seen the creature? And I said, yep. She said, well, tell me about it. Well, she's sitting here pumping up this blood pressure cuff. My blood pressure started that morning at 137 over 85, and that's what it was until I started telling my story. My blood pressure went up with this cuff on my arm to 204 over 96, and they put me on stroke alert. They thought I was fixing to have a stroke. Mm. And uh, so I mean, you can see she can see my breathing is you know elevated and everything else like that. My wife said, he ain't having no stroke. She said, that's the way he gets whenever he has to tell that story of what happened to him back in 1977. And that lady said, man, it really must have affected you. I said, oh, it did, you know. I said, but now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm consumed with it. And uh, so uh, <clears throat> she gives me a timeout, and then she checks again. It's 167 over 90. And she says, if this blood pressure don't come down, you're not going to get to have your surgery today. So anyway, it comes on down, and I have my <laughs> surgery. But I had, I knew it affected me, but I had no idea it affected me that much. But where it's medically proven while she still got this blood pressure cuff on my arm it goes to 204 over 96 y'all know what buck fever is when you see a buck or a a doe and all of a sudden your heart rate goes up and you you know you can't hardly breathe and you're you're, when you do you're breathing real heavy and you can't keep your gun steady and that's when you're seeing an animal that you're out there in the woods 
expecting to see. And yet, well, you can imagine if whenever you have a Bigfoot walk out and you don't believe in Bigfoot and he walks out, the kind of effect that it has on you. And like I said buck fever has actually caused people to uh, to have heart attacks. Now, you take buck fever, you compare it to Bigfoot fever, and you kind of get an idea of what it's like whenever you see a Bigfoot. So, uh, so uh, it, and then it's exhilarating still for me, you know. Um, so, are you still there? Sorry, cut off. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, in the legend of Boggy Creek, it, uh, you know, it's famous for uh, the three-toed tracks. Right. The Thought Monsters three-toed tracks. Have you found any of the three-toed tracks by chance? Yes, I yes I have. I've only I've only found I found two down there at Falk. One of them. Um, was at a place that's called Thornton's Wells. It's kind of a, a community hole for Bigfoot, but the, the, the creature hangs out around there. Uh, as far as I know, uh, the last sighting last year, we had one. We were down there on December the twenty, either 21st or 23rd, I can't remember. But anyway, and, and uh, he was across the creek there actually walking towards me and my buddy Stephen and his daughter, Sydney, saw him, and she had him on flare, and she's she's about to freak out. And so she's like, there he is. He's walking to you. He's walking to you. And so uh, I finally saw the shadow, and I was able to throw the spotlight up while he took off. Well, I went back a little bit a few days after that, and I found the three-toed track, but it looked like uh, it had been cut off in a trap or something, other, like it had been uh, caught and then pulled off or just didn't. So that one, and it was still filling with water, so I wasn't but about 10 minutes behind this animal. And man, it was a monstrous track. I mean, monstrous. But it was still filling with water, and so that's one of the only ones I found, and I found one more up there. But I do I know a story about that three-toed track. There's a man that uh, works here in town. He has three brothers, and he's man, he's as, he's as good a guy as the day is long. And uh, the day after Easter Sunday, me and my wife uh, were over at my in-law's house, and he happened to be over there, and they had already told him what had happened. And, and uh, so we was telling, telling this guy, and he said, man, he said, I know what you mean. And I said, you had a Bigfoot sighting? He was right there close to where you're talking about. And he's a kid. His family's camping down at Thornton's Well. His dad sends him down to the uh, boat ramp to get a bucket of water. Well, he's laying out there stretching out to get it, and he notices this shadow coming up. Well, he's got two older brothers. You know, older brothers are notorious for you know, playing <laughs> jokes on you. So he thinks it's his brother. So he's, he said, you're not scaring me. So he's reaching out, he's getting that bucket, you know, and trying to fill as much water as he can. Then he notices, he hears the another rock tumble like the thing has moved. And uh, so the shadow was a little bit bigger. Well, he knew the shadow wasn't shadows of his brothers. He turns around, and he's looking at the foul monster. And he said the thing's about seven and a half foot tall. And uh, he said it has three toes, has full hands, but it has three toes on each foot. And, man, he leaves the bucket there. He takes off running up the hill. And uh, screaming to his dad, of course, his dad like, son, where's the bucket I told you? He said, dad, there's a monster down there. You better go back and get that bucket. Then all of a sudden the thing walks up the hill. When it does, daddy puts everybody mm-hmm. in the truck. They drive about 50 or 60 yards away, and this thing ransacks their camp where they had been camping. Takes all the food stuff it wants, turns around, looks at them like, now what are you going to do about it? And then it walks on back down the hill and takes off. And so... Uh, so this man right here to tell me that story, he he really did under, understand. But but that three-toed track is real. This year, man, we have got found so many three-toed tracks, it's unreal. We have uh, have uh, found some uh, down at Falk down there, and then we've also found some in right there at the foothills of Arkansas. And it appears to be a, a not just a some kind of anomaly where he's, you know, where he has actually you know cut his toes off in a trap or anything like that, but where it's actually the the a a, a genetic 
form in his feet there. So, and I was never so surprised in my life. I found some four-toed tracks there that where he does, doesn't have, you know, the other digit, you know, or anything else like that. And uh, then we found some five-toed tracks, but I'm seeing more and more three-toed tracks. Some people swear up and down that's because of the inbreeding and that's what's making it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's another mm-hmm. species. I don't, I don't know if it's a mutation or whatever. But I'm actually starting to see that, Dustin, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm having to relearn what I learned or what I thought I learned a long time ago because all the tracks I had found before, man, I'd found one time, I'd found over 200 tracks out there in the woods, and they all had five toes. Well, now I'm starting to see those three-toed tracks again. Realize I didn't know as much as I thought I did, you know, even though I've been Bigfoot hunting for 42 years. Mm-hmm. So I know earlier you said uh, that uh, the smallest the smallest one you found so far is, I believe you said, three inches? Three and a quarter, huh? Uh Three and a quarter. What's the what's the longest track that you've found so far? The longest one I found, I found one that was 19 inches, and uh, and that dude was about about nine inches wide, 19 by nine, and it was in a mud puddle. I was I tried to cast it. I got some of it casted, and of course some of it was just so wet it wouldn't cast. But I was nervous the whole time that I was casting that track. When you see a track that's that long, I've got one. Uh, picture there that me and my son found one morning we found an animal the track wasn't but about 16 and a half about eight and a half or maybe 17 if it wasn't a slide but but there, the the uh, stride line was seven foot five inches so even though his foot wasn't just huge the stride line was incredible seven foot five inches man mm-hmm. i mean that's that's taller than shaquille o'neal that's taller than andre the giant and so uh, to have that, if that would have been that 19-inch track, but it wasn't, but the, the but it was just a massive, massive animal. I would have loved to have seen him. We went to cast that, and my plaster paris had hardened. I keep plaster paris in the back of my truck. So we called my wife. She's on the way to bring some down. Here comes a guy with a boat, drives right through it, and just ruins the track. So, man, we were just, about, just about sick, but I was able to get a picture of it of the two tracks there and like I said you can see the toes on the tracks and they appear to be three toed tracks so uh, so pretty neat you know so it's it's a real thing down there and that was down there at, at a sulfur river close to Fout down there so they appear to be three toed tracks so uh, so it's a real thing it's not just something that, that people are making up or that they're not excited about I know the man who has the uh, the last three toed track he's the man I mentioned earlier his name is Tom Zorn and uh, he keeps it in a safe deposit box at the bank, and uh, I was lucky enough this year, the day I told you that I, that I met Tracy down there at FAF, well, he was uh, allowing for the first time somebody else to make a, a copy of that cast, and uh, so he actually thought the first time anybody else besides him had touched it, and so my son Reese got to film that, and it's a three-toed track. It's very slender. It's probably not probably not four inches wide all the way from, from uh heel to toes and but the toes are very very long almost like fingers but uh, it wow. looks the very same as it does in the gazette article there when it was found in willie smith's beanfield there so so that's a that is a very strange track indeed right there but but it's it's legitimate because his mom was the she did all the casting she worked some kind of crafts and stuff like that and when they saw it that was she was the only one that they could get in touch with hmm. yeah uh I know how you said you were nervous when you were trying to uh, to cast that one because you didn't know where it could be. That's kind of how uh, we felt. Well, yeah, the way we felt when uh, we found our tracks at the beginning of this year, we found four or five 20-inch tracks and about nine, <clears throat> sorry, 
16-inch tracks in the same spot, in the same area. One was walking down the road, and uh, one was crossing this little creek. And the whole time just standing there staring at these tracks, you I mean, it's not only just blowing your mind, but you're also in the back of your head like, how close is this to me right now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and you may not have seen him, but he saw you, Dustin. I believe that with all my heart. These people come out there with camouflage and all that stuff, but you may as well wear a light-up Liberace suit because they know when you get there. <laughs> you know, they're they're smart. You know, and you're not going to trick them. It's just if, if, they, if they're in the mood, they'll let you see them. If not, you know, they'll stay hid unless you're just very, very, very lucky, you know, and, and catch movement or something like that. You're not going to catch them. And that's, that's what most of the pictures we've gotten this year have been off of a game camera. Um, that I've got one that I got when he was over there. I was casting a track, and he was in behind a brush pile. And uh, so uh, I happened to see him right as he was sneaking behind that brush pile because I was behind my truck. Well, he was using that opportunity to, to make his own move. So I'm sitting there, and I get my phone ready. And right as I um, start to lean up, well, he leans up to take another look, and I was able to get a picture. Of course, it's not it's not clear, but, but it's the same area where we're getting all these other tracks. And, I, and after I shot the deal, he goes down, he takes off. I took my wife there this spring, and she's looking with a pair of binoculars, and she's on one side of the truck sitting down looking. She doesn't see nothing. Well, she turns around, she stands up, and she glances over this field where I'd seen this one, the very same place. And he stands up from the same daggum brush deal, and he puts his hands up to the side of a face like he's imitating her. And I said, Cindy, there he is, there he is, there he is. Well, of course, I got a little too excited, and he could hear me, and <laughs> she didn't pull her glasses down to look and then to find him that way she kept her glass up and so she didn't get to see him but um but he was standing right there and, and she'll verify that account so but yeah when you find those big tracks like that um man you don't know you know i mean you know there's all kinds of jokes around as far as you know size of the feet and everything else but man in the world of bigfoot that's a that's a big animal and that's how as you said that's how i find a lot of my tracks dustin i don't i think y'all probably do too i, I cruise the creek beds uh, get on the sandbars, look on the sandbars. I get on these roads after it rains, and uh, I cruise the roads there looking for tracks and things like that, places where they might cross or, or something, you know, that's a little bit out of the ordinary. And uh, and then when you do, a lot of times you find a whole lot more than what you were actually bargaining for. I got out this year, I think the same day y'all had that big giant track up there. And I found one on Pat Mays Lake up there, which is around Paris, Texas. And uh, that dude, when he stepped up there, the toes are, are probably two in, two and a half inches wide and probably three inches long. And I'm not talking about long, skinny toes. The whole foot is probably, oh, man, the whole foot was probably nine inches at the toes. But when he, he was so heavy and it had rained, when he stepped out of this ravine, he stepped on the bank, the heel part gave away. So I've got half of the, the track there, that a picture of, and I've got a six-inch multi-tool stuck in the middle of it man you've got all kinds of room and that dude right there i was down there uh, just by myself and i'm like oh my goodness gracious i mean i was truly nervous because you know i didn't have i had a little uh, personal protection pistol but i said that wasn't that wasn't going to do because i'm not going to try to shoot him for that reason but still had i needed it it was uh so i was just uh i mean i was exhilarated because of the size of the track and if i i used to go fish pat maze and man you would hear him at night on there doing the, the calling, you know, they, one of them would get to calling across the lake and the other one would get to calling. And, uh, it was a very impressive display. I, I thought I saw one one day running down the edge of the wood line, which is what had brought me back. But then I went to Lake Fork 
and uh, I would experience the same thing. They'd be on opposite sides of a cove, or opposite, and they would start screaming at each other. Man, I mean, it was just, you know, it, the beauty of it was, you know, is, is they were hollering whatever they were saying. I mean, man, some of the calls they can make are just, you know, are just incredible. So, uh, so that was one of those things that I was nervous when I was was casting that 19 inch track, and I, I know y'all were because that track that y'all had was was amazing. The biggest one I've ever seen was a lady and her sister. Um, from Georgia showed me a, I think it was a 22 inch track and they could finish each other's sentences when they were telling me about it. So I know they were telling the truth. They were very, very close, but they were telling me about the track and the thing actually lived in an orchard where their grandmother, uh, had, had land. And she, of course she kept the orchard up and it would eat there. But anyway, she showed me the picture and it was a freshly plowed field and it, they had a tape measure right beside it. And man, it was as beautiful as if you and I went and stepped in wet sand right there, you know, on the, on the banks of the, you know, the banks of the, the Mountain Fork River. I mean, it was just beautiful. We found some this year that were really strange. Uh, I'd like to tell you about if you don't mind. I was with my friend yeah, Shannon, and this this was back in August here. Our Bigfoot gets started. There, there's kind of a rhyme to reason to when they get when they start getting aggressive or, or start getting active. Usually they start about August, and when the first hunters start coming around scouting and everything like that, they kind of take exception to that. So when they do, you'll start seeing some tree breaks. They'll break the limbs. They'll pull it down over the road. Um, they'll break the limbs and things like that, and you'll see a few structures. But I found one down there one day that was big around my whole body, and it was about 25 feet long. And he had snapped it down because there was a bunch of hunters starting to kind of getting the jump on everybody else. <clears throat> so me and my friend Shannon, uh, like I said, we were there on August the 26th. And so we were down at Mercer Bio down there. Well, Mercer is really far down. They have taken all the water out of it. They had claimed they're going to uh, to drain all the grass out of it and recut the boat trails, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But he and I, as we were coming down there, um, I was picked up a Bigfoot trail coming out of there, and it was probably about a 16-inch about a track. And so, and it's a three-toe track, by the way, as you mentioned, the three-toe tracks. And it's a three-toe track, and he's coming through there, and all of a sudden it intersects an alligator track. And the alligator track looks to be, judging from the size, I'm saying probably about a seven or eight-foot alligator. And he follows this alligator for about another about another 10 to 15 feet, I mean, complete with the tail drag. I mean, you can see the tail drag. I've got pictures of it, of the feet and the uh, the tail drag there and the Bigfoot foot. And then all of a sudden, the gator track just disappears, and the Bigfoot track appears to be weighing a whole lot more as he's heading back out through the woods. So I think he had him a dinner of alligator. That's not the first alligator that I've seen uh, that a Bigfoot has actually gotten and eaten. I've got a picture of one where he had uh, cleaned one out of a Smith Park Lake down there, and we found the skeleton and the scutes over there, and one we had been seeing for about three and a half years. It wasn't but about oh, six and a half, seven foot. It was not quite as big as what this gator appeared to be, but this three-toed track had... Uh, gone through and he'd had him a dinner of alligator so it was uh <laughs> shannon couldn't believe it i mean but but you know gators are tough animal they're nothing but muscle man so what kind of animal can uh handle an alligator you know unless the raccoons are taking steroids it's not going to happen you know and to get him more or less to get to get control of him but then to kill him you know and then put him uh, it, it's unreal so we would also find that one place there we found the first gator we found over 50 turtle shells all of them about about anywhere from 10 to 13 inches around. Not a single one was cracked, but all the meat had been sucked out of them, and they were all piled up right there. And I'm like, my gosh, what in the world does this? Then you've got about 200 crawfish shells from the, the blood painter, painter from the Arkansas blood painter, which is 
red and brown. They look like a bunch of Christmas decorations from uh, Christmas trees that have been just cracked and thrown onto the ground. So, so these things are something, man. Mm. What they what they decide that to eat is is just whatever it wants to eat. I just hope that old balding UPS man is not on their menu. <laughs> you know, if so, I need to find me. <laughs> I'm gonna take up golf. You know, maybe starting tomorrow. You know. <laughs> I've had I've had some really really other things. Like I said they don't always end badly. A Bigfoot encounter doesn't always you know end ba- end badly at all. You know I've had them where they sit there and just turned around and walked away. Um, I know of two accounts here that that I was told one of them was by a deputy sheriff that was here in Miller County, and they're on you know where Sulphur River Bridge is on 237 right there very close to where I met you you guys down there. Well mm-hmm. there was a car had a slid into the guardrail there whenever it was iced over and the door was pinned against the uh the guardrail there and according to the people and this deputy was a guy i rented my mother and dad rented a house from his mother whenever i was a young man so so i knew him very well and he was the one telling me the story he said according to them he said when they were pinned and they couldn't get out he said this bigfoot walked up from the bottom of the bridge there pulled that car sideways and pulled that door open and turned around and walked back off and left. Now, that sounds far-fetched, but, man, the strength that they have whenever you see the things that they do with these trees, um, you realize it may not be as far-fetched as what people think it is. But this comes from a law enforcement officer. Another lady, I know her husband was a UPS uh, over-the-road driver, and so uh, they, they're going to take a few days off. And so they go down to this cabin down here in Miller County and, they're off there in the woods. Probably it's probably about three miles in, and you have to rent it for the weekend. There's a lake down there. Well, she they bring their new Labrador puppy, and so they tie him outside. And the husband comes in from work. He's tired and asleep. So she uh, she's laying there, and she hears something outside. Kind of the dog kind of whimpering and jumping around and stuff. And she hears something else she doesn't recognize. This lady goes out there and opens the door to call her dog, and there's about a five foot baby Bigfoot out there that's playing with her new black puppy and she said they would bounce and mirror each other and stuff like that and she said the thing reached down and put its hand on the puppy not to hurt it but just to kind of you know and not even swat it but just kind of you know push it out of the way like he's playing and she said the thing went 15 feet across the ground and the puppy rolled and, and got up and looked at him like what, what was that all about you know and she watched it well she ran inside and tried to wake her husband up but when she slammed the door then uh when uh, she got back there and she went back, the thing was gone. Well, anyway, she contacted the lady who owns the cabin, and the lady said, well, I'll be honest with you. She said, I've been feeding that animal down there for about a year, and she puts uh, um, the food on a fence post, on a railroad-tie fence post, and, and uh, it will come. And, of course, it's you know when it gets through eating, it just throws the stuff down. But, uh, but she had been doing that for quite a while. So, like I said, not all Bigfoot encounters uh, – you know, end up bad like uh, like what you hear. Most time, it's not very good for the dog. You know, but uh, but in mm. this case here, it worked out good. And uh, so, uh, um, I had one throw a rock at me one day when I went to there. They had uh, I was at Derrick's Lake in Arkansas. We had a houseboat on Lake Greeson, which is about probably 40 miles away. And I'd have one that was across uh, on this bluff over there, across from our houseboat, just screaming to beat the band. I told my son. I said, I said, I had a Bigfoot last night here. It sounded like the Pooh Yellow scream. But I got a report from up there around Derrick's Lake of a young couple who was camping. They said something was walking around their vehicle. So he and I went up there, and we got there about 2.30 in the morning. And we turned around. There was, a, sure enough, a couple out there pitching woo. And so as soon as my front lights of my wife's uh, 
um, Tahoe hit them. Well, of course, you can see them jump up, putting their clothes on, everything else like that. And they take off. Well, then I waited, and Reese had already got out of the truck. Well, as soon as I go to get out, there's a rock about the size of a softball that lands almost right at my feet. And, I mean, it had some velocity to it. And I had my light. I put my light on it and watched it go across the parking lot. And, man, I, I was so scared. And I said, Reese, please tell me that you just threw a rock into the woods and it hit that tree. And it bounced back out, and he's just laughing. He goes, no, I didn't. And then we hear the thing kind of going up the hill right there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So they're very deadly when they throw rocks. I mean, that could be one of those things, you know, that, that could have ended up, you know, ended up badly, whether he meant to hurt me or whether he meant to just scare me. But, man, they rock throwing is a, they're like a major league pitcher. I mean, they can just about put those things where they want them, you know. That's kind of funny you say that because uh... – Last year, uh, Brian uh, Brian Hewlin from my group, he was out in our uh, area in southeast Oklahoma, and uh, he was out there by himself, and he bent over to pick something off the ground. And he said as he bent over, a walnut caught – I think it, it caught him right in the middle of the head. And it just <laughs> fell down, and he said he heard something take off running. He said – I think he said he jumped in the truck and uh, waited for everybody else to get there. <laughs> well, that's like the deal with Brian Empey. That thing hit Brian, and man, it the the from the canopy of at least a good, a good probably forty yards there with that overcut acre. So man, they're just they're just deadly if they want to be. I've had one throw an eight foot log at me before, and and uh, yeah. it had it had there was a, a male and a female, and a juvenile, and and we had been tracking these animals for about six months, and we had never had a visual, but we had had a lot of encounters with them. They would you know we'd leave bait out for them, and they would get the bait and uh and then we would leave things like oh oh uh, wind chimes and spinners and things and they would they would never uh you know they would never offer to hurt us but they would walk around us and you could hear them uh knocking on trees it wasn't very loud like what you would expect but just low just so it's like they're telling the other ones where we are so pretty soon there we find another big male track that has moved in to where this other family is and man all of a sudden every trail that we went on was blocked off now i don't know if it was the the other male or if it was the first male but we were following this first male one sunday afternoon between church time and it was kind of cloudy and overcast and I, he was i said doing that rock the uh tree knocking telling the other ones kind of where we were so i started following him instead so i get right there to where his lair goes into uh into the river right there and I had my phone ready, and I said, I'm fixing to get your picture, buddy. Because I wasn't too far behind him, and I could hear him up ahead of me moving. All of a sudden, I hear, and I look, and here comes an eight-foot log sailing through the trees right towards me. And there, it had a kind of a little stick on one end, kind of sticking out like a, like an arm. Well, it wrapped up in those uh, vines from those trees, and it just started bungeeing right there next to me, just doing, doing, doing. and I just had to already have my phone out. I just took a picture, you know, and just started laughing. I told Reese, I said, it's time to go, because he'd never run us out before. He'd thrown acorns. <laughs> a buddy on that right there, when they start throwing those things right there, he's trying to get your attention for something other. So uh, so uh, I, we got out of there, and uh, we had one one night throw about a 300-pound rock at us. While we went into the river, we went to Sulphur River down there, and we went towards, uh, we went, to the place on that you put in and you go towards right patman lake and the river was pretty high so my son reese was in his boat by himself and me and randy crawford were in randy's boat 
we go up there and we go where a place called Falmouth Land, in which there's been several sightings through there. And then there's a railroad, a couple of railroad tracks that, that that cross the river, and they're made of metal. We had something knocking on that metal up there. Well, it got kind of cold, and his his wife's birthday was coming up, and she wanted him to come home. So it had gone from like 55 degrees to about it's probably about 28 or 29 by this time. We're going to try to stay as long as we can. Well, we get up there and we start heading back. <clears throat> And there's this giant splash. I mean, we're you know not just just taking it easy, coming down the river, and and uh, I had been kidding Randy about him saying some of the splashes we had heard instead of being rockstone were fish. And uh, he said, "Oh yeah, that's just fish." I said, "Randy, you think that's a fish?" He goes, "Man," he said, "Where's my flashlight?" So he gets his flashlight, and as according to Murphy's law of bigfooting, his flashlight batteries are dead. Reese tries to hit him with his mm-hmm. flashlight. His flashlight is dead. I grabbed my spotlight. My spotlight is dead. And the only thing redeeming thing we had, Reese had bought us a new FLIR for Christmas. And this was January the 13th, 2017. And it's probably about it's probably about 12, 15 at night. Well, I, he said, get the FLIR, get the FLIR. So I hooked up the, uh, the FLIR, was on me and turned the FLIR on. And whenever I did, <laughs> I pointed it towards the bank. And he is backed up there against a big pile of brush. Well, man, when this infrared hits him, he walks towards the edge of that the the bank of the river and just kind of does a bodybuilding crab pose, just kind of grimaces at me, you know, wrinkles up his face, and then he takes off. I said, Sasquatch, Sasquatch. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm freaking out when you see one that's that close and you think he's fixing to come in the river, you don't know what you're going to say. So he runs about halfway up the hill and he stops and turns around and grimaces at me again. Then he gets to the top of the hill and he goes, Let me have it, let me have it. So I give him the fleer, but I had on glass, uh, had on gloves. And when I did, I accidentally hit with that long thumb on that glove, accidentally hit the off button. And I hand him the off button, I mean, hand the FLIR, and the FLIR is turned off. So I'm not his best Mm. friend for about the next week to the next week and a half. But he went back (laughs) looking around, and so, but that's a true story. I mean, like I said, Murphy's Law of Bigfooting got me, but but that was just really one of those things that I wanted to Murphy's Law of Bigfoot is a real thing. The curse of the Bigfoot or the Bigfooter is a real thing. Um, never fails. Your gear is going to malfunction or your car is going to break down right before you're supposed to go on an outing or, you know, it's just the mm-hmm. curse of Bigfoot. It really is. Um, well, love- uh, we are all out of time, but we have absolutely enjoyed having you on. I am Man. so thankful that you've come on and shared everything with us. I appreciate y'all so much having me. I realize I can dominate a, a conversation. I, I love to talk about these animals because they are real. That's I've been all very right. Ex- we uh, love to hear about it. Well, I've been very fortunate <laughs> in 42 years, you know, to have the experiences I had. And this last year, as I had uh, said, to to have the pictures and the animals that we've been around. Um, hopefully that y'all will be uh, have me again and, and maybe um, even one of my partners together there and, and come down. We're going to have hopefully have some more pictures pretty soon. And then, uh, I've, I'm, I would show them now, but uh, so right now I'm, I'm under contract with a production company, and that's part of their mm-hmm. restrictive clause is not to be able to publicly broadcast them. I could show them to you all day on my phone, but they wouldn't let me send them. So, but, folks, thank you all for having me so much. Gotcha. I enjoyed it, man. I've, I've looked forward to this. Like I said, Night Callers is, is awesome, and uh, I, I hope you have me again sometime. Oh, definitely. Oh, absolutely. We'll definitely you have you back on. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, and you get back out there in the woods and get some more experiences to come tell us, okay? Uh, as soon as you have an opening, you let me know, and then I'll, I'll, I'll try to Bigfoot hunt about 
about four days a week of some way, some way or shape mm-hmm. or fashion. So hopefully I have some more oh, stuff to awesome. tell you all about. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be down there as soon as good. I can. Man, like I said, you, like I was saying goes, you notice where I stays, man. So just come right on down. And, and uh, <laughs> as soon as we get this house of mine remodeled, there might even be an extra room for you. So hey, we'll go oh. out there and we'll, we'll, make, we'll make a little noise for them, I promise. That's all right. Dustin Count can sleep in. on the floor. I'll take the couch. You know, girl, you come right. Okay. You come right ahead. Like, hey, my wife will go if another woman goes. So if you'll come, we'll all four go out there, and we'll uh, we'll have a, we'll have one of these hallways. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have one of these stories, hallway <laughs> stories to tell everybody. But again, thank y'all so much. I appreciate it. Like I said, I, I promise you, everything I've told you is true, mm-hmm. and 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 I appreciate y'all having me on your show. I realize y'all could have who you want to have, and it means a whole lot to me. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Absolutely, really we're grateful you that you came on. Yep. All right. We will talk to you all the next time then. Thank you. All right. Good night. All right. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. So, um, Dustin, thank you for another amazing show. And everyone, stay tuned. Check out our Facebook page. We will have the next guest up soon. Um, And if you aren't able to listen to this show on blog talk radio you can also go listen on youtube stitcher or apple podcast good night everybody good night Bigfoot Radio.